0: My ready football podcast, delayed. Stefan, been a long, long week. We couldn't quite get it recorded, but on this Friday night for me, Friday morning for you, actually got it done. What's going on? I'm good, man. Like you said, it's been a hectic week. Um, Delayed podcast, but we're still going to
1: deliver something good. So let's just get into it.
0: You know, once I talk, it's always good. You know, you know, we were talking before the podcast for like 30 minutes about a bunch of random stuff. And one of the random stuff we're talking about was a Jamie Carragher Roy Keane that's called discussion, where Roy Keane just made a total fool of himself. Base of his argument was that Manchester United bought Cristiano Ronaldo to win cups, to win the FA Cup. Now, unless I missed a meeting. Most teams don't even care about the FA Cup and they only care about the Carling Cup when you reach the semi-finals. They're like, all right, we're here. Might as well try to win. You know? Stefan, you you're you, you're, you're weak? You you broke up a while ago. Sorry about that, Stefan. I was saying they're talking about Manchester United is talking about. Roy Keane's talking that Manchester United bought Cristiano Ronaldo to win Cups. i like, Cups, you don't know, win the Cups. The Cups, you know, they're not good enough. Manchester United spent hundreds of millions of dollars. I'm pretty sure they put this team together thinking that they would win They would win something or get close to something.
1: No, yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, in all honesty, Roy Keane to me is probably one of the worst pundits in the game at the moment and what he was saying against Carragher just really exposed his ass for me because I have no concept of what he was trying to defend there. Manchester United spent hundreds of millions of dollars, huge wages on Jaden Sancho and Varane, and Rafael Varane, and then added Cristiano Ronaldo on top of it. If you think there was anybody at Manchester United who sanctioned those moves and said, yes, these are the moves that's going to take us from second place last year to winning the FA Cup, you are clearly delusional. Manchester United thought they had a good enough team to win the Premier League or to challenge for the Premier League. And they strengthened with three moves that they thought could do it. And they brought in Ronaldo because Ronaldo is a serial winner. He's de- de- delivered titles before and they wanted him to deliver titles again. There's no, there's no counter-argument for this. Anyone who says otherwise is clearly just being delusional.
0: Yeah, like, let us not have in the history here because Ole Gunnar was just a terrible manager and rightfully fired. You, they bought Cristiano Ronaldo, yes, also to keep him away from Manchester City. But the reason why they wanted to keep him away from Manchester City is because they believe that if they got him, they could help close the gap on Manchester City. Not They didn't think, oh, we got Cristiano Ronaldo. now the gap is going to further. You know, so, yeah, uh, yeah but enough of that. You know, it was, it was a funny discussion. I wish we had recorded it. Anyway, we didn't. Touch quickly on Manchester United-Arsenal. Uh, shout out to Michael Carrick, who's leaving the club. Hugely underrated football player. I remember I used to have arguments back in the day that Michael Carrick, at his best, was as good as Yahya Torre. I remember those arguments. Uh, man, he would, Michael Carrick went to Manchester United for, at a time, which seemed like an obscene amount of money, over £20 million. And people were like, oh, having a laugh. What is he doing? Such an underrated player. He did such subtle things the way he used his body, positional sense, his ability to use the ball, forward passing, hit the the wide players, stretch the field with his passing. Lack of ball skill and flair would have always kept him below the elite European level midfielders. But you know, he won a Champions League. He got close a few times, was always unfairly blamed. By the people who didn't like him in the English media, especially when Man United would lose to Barcelona. Somehow it was his fault that he couldn't outplay Zafi <laughs> and Sergio Bosquez. And yeah, they, I mean, would, I mean, they would always make these ridiculous things like Manchester United have to get someone better than character to play against these. I'm like, who are these midfielders that you're planning on buying? Like, where do they play? On which planet? What television network are you watching these midfielders on? So, somewhere it was always his fault. Um, he, he's the type of football player that was appreciated more towards the end of his career uh, rather than during. He was one of those people, who people would always be like, oh, this is how Sir Alex Ferguson is so good. He has Michael Carrick in the midfield. And, you know, whereas Michael Carrick was actually quite a very good, actually, a top class football player, definitely not world class. But he, I would say, he had a top-class career for Manchester United, um, and unfortunately, he played for England national team at a time that had absolutely no use for any good footballer.
1: Yeah, a lot of the Mark, Michael Carrick arguments that you used to have back in the day were against me actually, because yeah. in my head you used to overrate Michael Carrick a little bit too much. Good player for sure. Uh, As you said, he got a lot more credit towards the end of his career. And I think the reason for that mostly is because the bulk of his early career was in an era of football where players of his ilk weren't appreciated, especially in English football. That type type of midfielder was found more in the continent, more in Europe, et cetera. And those players got their ratings in those leagues. In the EPL, it wasn't really the case. Um, I remember we used to have discussions about Carrick. Uh, Mikel Arteta was another similar player to that. Uh, Even one of my personal faves back in that time was Denilson. I remember we used to break down the stats of Michael Carrick. And I'd be like, but Denilson is doing all of these things and more, and he's not getting any credit. Um, But yeah, no. Props to Carrick. He came in in a tough period for Manchester United. He leaves undefeated. He got some good results for sure. And um, he can leave with his head held high. Unlike-
0: the thing is with Michael Carrick, just quickly on it though, even though like statistically his defensive stats were like similar to Arteta, similar to Dan Nielsen, I always felt like Michael Carrick, the things that you couldn't pick up on a stat sheet were more um, instructive to winning the way he's positioning, the way he was always able to to make the right forward passes to release pressure, arm um, the organization of the midfield, the way he played beside Paul Scholes and Ryan Geeks at different times. Uh, he and also he won turn, he won, he won things, and you know when you win things, you're always going to get a bit more credit than those players that you didn't. But for a player that won so much. He really didn't get the get even that. He didn't even get those ratings. He only got ratings above players like Arteta and Danielson, similar types of football players who won nothing. Yeah, but and in comparison yeah, yeah. to players who won stuff and were playing well in the Champions League and was there in and out. He never got close to that sort of um, reference.
1: Yeah, and, and that, as I said, I, see, I think that's mostly simply because of the era of football he played in, where those players weren't appreciated in England very much. Um, we're not going to start this discussion again because, in my head, Mikel Arteta was always better than Carrick, and I can distinctly remember showing you attacking stats of Mikel Arteta clearly outperforming Carrick.
0: But yeah, the, the, there was that scene. But the thing is, the though difference Arsenal was Carrick. Was Carrick was so bad. Like, um, the the difference was Arsenal Carrick was so bad. Somebody had to make the passes. Right. Yeah, exactly. The has difference to make the
1: passes. Yeah, so the difference was Michael Carrick played for Manchester United so he was covered by better players well. Mikel Arteta his individual brilliance was um hampered by the teammates that he had.
0: I don't know. I I remember I I just remember Michael Carrick playing in Champions League finals and winning and semi-finals and winning. I remember that. Maybe there was some yeah, I mean, Maybe was, there the was some champ- Thursday maybe there was some Friday um prep school games that Mark Mikhail Teto won. That that's I that do Yeah, I mean,
1: about. but at the end of the day, Mika Carrick only won the Champions League finally played against an English team. Once he played against the, the actual good players, um he didn't stand up very well.
0: Well, you have to you have to sometimes get into the party to talk to the girl. Those that stand <laughs> outside have no chance.
1: Fair enough, fair enough. But yeah, <laughs> anyway, about just moving on
0: is, I just want to give a shout out, but what I want to ask you, Stefan, about the game, though, was Arsenal, I know we have criticized some of their players before, but going on one player in particular that you were going hard on Twitter about?
1: I don't know who that was. I don't think I was going hard on any player on Twitter.
0: He, party time? Oh,
1: Thomas Party. It could have been Obama I don't think I was particularly harsh on either of them. I just called it how I see a sight. Um, again, another terrible performance from Thomas Partey. The the joke of of many jokes right now. Um but yeah, what what's hard to say? What do you want me to say about Thomas no, Partey? I, I
0: need to find the street, man. There was some funny stuff that I saw during the game. I woke up, I went to bed early. Woke up just to watch this silly little little game. It was actually quite entertaining. Football honestly, games are always entertaining game, when both sides are... Um...
1: Honestly, before the game, I had tweeted something along the lines of, today, Manchester United play Arsenal at Old Trafford, and there seems to be no excitement about it. What a way these teams have fallen. But after the game, like I had to tweet, like that was probably one of the more enjoyable games I've seen in the EPL um, this season.
0: When you have I mean, two teams that's where not same, make mistakes a... and play and get a low space, uh, yeah. and they believe they're on the same level, like I don't believe United believe that they can get a result against Arsenal without sitting deep, etc. And Arsenal believe that you will get good football game and you have a lot of, and yeah, I wouldn't say a lot of. We have good football players on both teams, and yeah. United were able to get the result. I know that the Arsenal will get get the result. Um, that's how close it was. I'm trying, I'm trying to find your tweets actually about the game. I don't so, think. Oh, yes, I'm... this one. You posted a meme of a smiling, uh smiling uh, Pablo Escobar. Party and Ob- Oba will be gone for a couple of weeks for the African Cup of Nations. Uh yeah. <laughs> no party, <laughs> keep, no party I keep, party a baller and him going to shut you up. Ha <laughs> ha reality. No party or keep. Um I remember I saw some of these. I remember you were giving it Liverpool looking looking into bringing in Aaron Ramsey while Arsenal waiting for a party to start. I, I, mean, that. I, that one. I mean that was the one that caught my eye when you said when you were like we Arsenal wait for a party to start.
1: Yeah. I don't I honestly don't think there's anything particularly harsh about any of those two
0: much better than party.
1: Thomas Partey joined Arsenal for £4-5 million. He's paid 250 a week. As I said, he's probably one of the highest-paid central midfielders in the EPL. And if you're making a list of the top 20 central midfielders in the EPL, he does not even come into the discussion. He has been an absolutely terrible signing for Arsenal.
0: Then, then there's more. Yo, up, touch that. You're welcome, Arsenal fans. The games where the better teams really show up. How oh, bad party and how are for So these are all in one game. Okay, good pass party. Like it was going on and on. I, I I was I was noticing it and I was I just wanted to and that, the, the fact up. that
1: I was so the fact that I was so lively on Twitter showed you how much I actually enjoyed the game. And because <laughs> I got into the game because it was it was good for the most part going back and forth the two teams. But there was just certain players that just they just stunk up the field. Honestly, I thought Fred was absolutely terrible for the first half, but his second half was better. And I even ended the day by saying I think Fred's a better footballer than Thomas Partey.
0: Yeah, you know Brazilian. He's, he's as much as the gap was closed and skill wise, rest of the rest of the top nations versus Brazil. Um, Brazil still have that natural technique that even a player like Fred will display. Uh, and that's why it's difficult to. For me to really say he's total garbage, the way our Manchester United fans like to ridicule him. He, he, as I've said before, he's a good, he's he's a good um, stabilizer off the bench. Shouldn't be a main starter. Uh, speaking of that though, quickly, um, first with Arsenal, it looks like there's a rumor that they're talking about bringing in Calvert Lewin to as a striker. What do you what do you think of that move for Arsenal?
1: i think i tweeted about six months ago the arsenal should look into calvert lewin um will he be a game changer probably not he's not going to be the guy that's suddenly going to make them title contenders but i do like the look of calvert lewin a couple of years ago i honestly can remember saying to myself i don't really see what he does apart from run around on the field and show passion but i think he's improved his overall game started scoring some goals last year brings his his teammates into the play, holds up the ball well, runs the channels. And honestly, if you compare that to what Young did yesterday, what Young has been doing for the last year and a half, Arsenal could really use that. Calvert alone would be an upgrade on what does did yesterday for sure. I think it would be an interesting signing. I do like the idea of Arsenal signing players who are already familiar with the Premier League, who are not necessarily stars, but established and understand, so there's a quicker adaption period. I do like that. Calvert-Lewing is one I've suggested for them. The other two are Rafinha from Leeds and um, Pablo Fornals from West Ham. I think those three players, they're not stars. They're not gonna make anyone go crazy, but I think those are the type of talents that can come in and actually improve the team and continue moving them upward.
0: Yeah, I remember we spoke about this, and I remember saying, he grew into his body and he got stronger, and that's why we're seeing a better version of him. Last year he scored sixteen goals. The year before that he scored thirteen goals. Now he's currently on three goals, but he's only played three games so far this season. So that's that. Not really a good passer of the football, but he's good in the air and strong. And as you say, he has experience. Manchester United going forward. Now they have a new manager. What do you think? If you were to, if you were to guess. Um scientifically, what do you think is gonna going to be done going forward with Manchester United?
1: Oh, that's interesting. I think you only bring in someone like Ralph, and by the way, I'm a huge fan of Ralph, I've always been a huge fan of him. Um, if if you bring in someone like him, especially in the type of role that you've announced that he's coming in, he's gonna be the interim manager for six months and then he's gonna have a quote-unquote consultancy role for the next two years. Um, just to point out, last year Chelsea tried to bring him bring him in as an interim and he rejected them because he said he's not he's not a six-month guy so that's why manchester united have this two-year consultancy as part of his agreement and why he's agreed to be an interim manager because he's clearly been given the idea that he's there for the long term and he's going to have some influence for the long term uh his philosophy in football is uh totally opposite to what Manchester United have been doing for the last couple of years. So I would have to think he's coming in I there to... I don't talk.
0: know what their, yeah, their philosophy really was. Yes. I, I, when they I, play against good teams, just sit deep and you hope for to kick a couple long balls up to Marshall and Rashford and one of them might go in and soak up pressure for the entire 90 minutes.
1: Yeah, for sure. So you would, you would expect him to come in and revamp the... Overall playing philosophy of Manchester United, I'm sure he's going to have some or most control in regards to transfers. He's definitely been a guy going through his previous clubs. He heavily focuses on youth signings and young signings and players that can grow. So we're probably going to see a change in the approach that Manchester United take towards the transfer market. Not necessarily going to be spending ridiculous amounts of money on finished articles. We probably see some heavy focus on developing talents. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see what actually happens after this six-month interim period. I did see someone say today that Ralph might have already suggested that he could be the manager part post the six months. But it would be interesting to see if, if that happens or if – he stays in a technical director role and brings in another manager underneath him. He has an interesting um, history of football. The, his latest jobs are with the Red Bull clubs. And when I say clubs, I mean all of them. Leipzig, Salzburg, Red Bulls in, in America, the Brazilian one. He's overseen pretty much all football operations in regards to all four of those teams over the last umpteen years that he's been involved with Red Bull. And all of those teams have had an upward tra- trajectory.
0: I believe be... that he might put McTominay based on what I know about him and bits I've seen. And I'm going to act like I've seen him, you know, coach a lot, of, et cetera. But from yeah. what I've, you know, read and, and analyzed, I think he might play McTominay in central central defense and go to a back three for at least for the next few months. I can yeah, see. But
1: that. I mean, I really, I really couldn't give you any comments on formations or anything like that because, as you point, pointed out, I don't think he pointed out. he actually hasn't done that much management in the last couple of years, even for Leipzig, he came in for one year, then came out for Ralph Hassenhalttel. then he came then he went back to the technical director role. so he's he's not actually been managing much for the last five, six years. Yeah. but it's it's gonna be interesting to see what is what he actually does. Could he play a back three? Yeah, because I've seen him do a back three for half a 9 I've seen it for Salzburg, not Salzburg, Leipzig as well. So it's in his repertoire. And where you want
0: the press, where you want the press to, you know, that's yeah, really in interesting. How Manchester United, because you know, United under Ferguson, their philosophy was so was quite obvious. I remember Ancelotti said it's quite simple, but it was it's super effective. How to make the pitch big? That Man United just had a great ability how to make the pitch big. Basically, turn it into a track meet and create a parallel spaces of lines. That was just so hard to defend and they could just stretch you out. Uh, So it's going to be interesting how he gets that done. But we shall see. I don't want to talk too much about Man United and Arsenal, fifth place team and seventh place team. Uh, But, you know, I expect one of them to finish top four. So Uh, likely Manchester United, not Arsenal, mainly because United have more talent. When you look look at, um, quickly, before I want to get to the main topic is Chelsea, shout out to Chelsea getting the result against Watford. I'm always going to shout out to them when they get good results. Um, because I thought that Chelsea would I thought that Chelsea would have fallen off by now, but they were able to get a result against Watford. It started Ruben Loftus cheek and Saul Negris in midfield. And Saul is just just abysmal total, total trash.
1: Abysmal, terrible, absolutely terrible. Um, for the most part, Chelsea were terrible in that Watford game overall. Yes, but and they got the result. They got the that's result. That, that's championship stuff. stuff. Yeah, that's there's that old cliche when you... If you want to be champions, you have to win when you play badly. And they got the result. Um, so, yeah, props to them. They're still holding on. I, I do start to see little cracks coming into them. I wonder how long they can keep this up. But they're doing well so far.
0: Yeah, because you have... Vernon is in the most open chances, haircut chances in the world. <laughs> you know, so there's that. And by world, I'm being facetious, but you know, in the EPL, he's, he's missing a lot of chances. They're still playing Asbury at right back. Conte uh, is hurt. Can Georgina go through another season without a dip? Uh, Mount managed to come through good. They do have Hudson Adoy. Who, even though he's not scoring, but his overall performance is playing well, Lukaku came back. So they can they that's going to be vital in the second half of the season for them. Is can they get Lukaku to fire? It's fourteen games in. They almost soon reach the second half of the Premier. Soon reach the half point of the Premier League season. But lastly, Stefan, you, there's an article I read today um, from Breaking the Lines, and they were talking about a uh, player. In Joe Cancelo and another player, in Trent Alexander, who I'm old enough to remember, many people in the media, many fans of England were saying he's not good enough to start for England. Um, he's not good enough. He 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 shouldn't play um, right back. He should be switched to a position that he's never played. The England manager actually tried him in midfield. Um, it took Clap actually making the obvious statement. Why would I play one of the best right-backs in midfield? He's never played midfield before. Um, so, yeah, I know this season you were on it. You are on Joe Cancelo saying that he's the best, left, best, left, best fullback period, right? You know, and I, I'm on record saying Trent Alexander is this errors, David Beckham. Um, so I want to ask you straight up, who's better? Um phew. That's, that's a hard one right now.
1: Super interesting because their, their styles are so contrasting. Who's better? Honestly, right now, if you gave me a choice, I would probably pick Joe Cancelo. I think overall, he probably just has a little bit more to his game. It's a bit more refined Uh, in regards to direct threat on goal. Trent, I think, has the advantage in terms of his crosses, his assists and his shooting ability. But overall, I think Joao as a better footballer, if that makes sense. It's more creative. I think he has a better um, control of the ball, touch of the ball, vision with the ball at his feet. He's able to come into the into midfield a, a bit better than Trent and um, do more in midfield, not just necessarily look for the final pass immediately or get a shot off immediately. Zhao has the ability to hold the ball, turn with the ball better. And um manipulate it better when it's at his feet. But honestly, it's it's super close right now. It kind of reminds me of back in the day when Danny Alves and mycon were being compared. Um, Mike Han, as good as he was for me when he was being compared to Danny Alves. I never thought he was close to Danny Alves. Like he wasn't even in the realm of possibility to me. I always thought Danny Alves was so much better. Trent and, and Joe, they're they're close. They're close for me. I I could go either way.
0: Mikon always was better for Brazil than Dani Alves based on stylistically. Mikon just seemed to be able to manage the system better and not leave as many spaces like Dani Alves would. This is an interesting one because when you look at the stats, of course, I'm going to go with the English player. So the reason why you can't take my opinion um, serious on it, because if, if someone's going to say I'm biased, of course I am. I'm, I'm not lying to you. You want me to lie to you? Um, yeah, I think I think I think Trent is better, but I'm not going to like get into any serious debate on it because I know I'm biased, because I want Trent to be better. And when it is close, I'm always going to lean on the side of the of the Englishman. Um, if it's not close, then yeah, that's a different argument. You you look at what makes it interesting is you look at the key stats like key passes, key passes per 90, big chances created, regular big chances created, assists. Uh he crosses, for example. Trent is all better, especially in crosses, right? Through balls about the same. Um, conceal leads in there. Accurate passes, I would say, yeah, you play for Guardiola side, in all likelihood, like for like that player is going to pass more than your player. So don't look at that, right? But what, what's interesting though is and we're um, Trent has been in for some criticism not from me but from other people when he was playing with absolutely nobody was like you look at some defensive stats like tackles and interceptions that's where he's behind especially interception and I, I'll give uh, the interceptions did stand out to me just like all crosses would stand out to me for Trent because interceptions Cancel is um Joe Concealer is extremely good at anticipating. Like his ability to anticipate positionally and see danger is quicker than Trend. As much as I like Trend, Trend sees danger very, very slowly for a top player. Yeah. Not well, by, by you know what I'm saying, very, very slow for a top player. For a regular player, it's fine. For a good player, it's fine. For a very good player, fine. But for a top, top elite world-class player, he sees danger too slowly. And every, cha- and there's always a moment in the game in, each, in either half. Trent will get turned. He will get turned, and a guy will open up a cross, cross on him. I don't see that often for um Consela is a bit stronger and just reads the danger a bit quicker. Trent. Sometimes you'll you'll try to same move on Trent five times, and one of them will open him up, and he'll be like damn, and then they'll talk about that for the entire game. Whereas Cancel, he don't see it as much. He, he he conceals it better.
1: Yeah, for sure. That's probably the biggest separation between them, the defensive aspect. Um, and I, I do think Trent gets a lot of grief and over overly criticized for his dis- defensive aspects. But yeah, there's, there's things he can refine there for sure. He does seem to ball watch a little bit more than you'd want for a top, top player. But as I said earlier, it's it's very close between them stylistically they're they're very different and that makes it even more interesting because um, when you when you just look at their output they're they're both playing superb football like yeah, trade, yeah the direct the direct assists and shots i think he has the edge but overall like, just just right now i give consello the edge like you know also Konsele, Konsele, in midfield, in, midfield is Konsele. Konsele, the edge my, in my head as well he can play both sides
0: equally well yeah like like you were talking about um Kansala being in midfield, being able to step in the midfield, but like Trent is so comfortable in the opposition box. It's like yeah. super super confident. So he's just always there. And what I do give Trent credit for, and this is an argument that I would use to defend him defensively, is he doesn't have anyone in front of him. He has mm-hmm. a forward in front of him, he has to control this whole Lane by himself, you understand. He has another attacking fullback on the left side. Yes, he has a defensive midfielder, but Fabinho hasn't been there all season. Um, and he's, you know, so there's going to be times where he's going to be open up because it's not like he's playing. It's not like he has the support. Whereas Conceicao, yes, he plays on a team that has the ball that consistently puts you under pressure. You don't have the chances to to really take advantage of whatever space that he's. Leaving behind, and lastly, you know they're, they're so different. concealer plays most of the time on the left on the left-hand side. Yeah, and for one sure. plays most of the side on the right-hand side. But it was a really interesting article, and they were using you know pictures and the way the breakdowns. You're like Cancela, like I see Cancela picking out the ball just outside of the eighteen-yard box. Uh, find playing playing a quick one too whereas I see Trent inside of the box playing a quick um, quick pass to solo So that that, that part is good and as I said I'll always go with uh, the Englishman um, and I'm happy for, I'm happy for Trent in the regards that he like I, I just don't understand like the people's need to criticize greatness. I don't understand people's needs to criticize. Some of, some of the things I see Trent get
1: criticized for are similar to when Danny Alves gets criticized, got criticized back in the day. Because there's times where Liverpool are clearly set up for Robertson and Trent to be on the 18-yard box of their opponents. And there's times where the ball is turned over and people are like, why hasn't Trent gotten back yet? I'm just like, "What? what do you want him to do? Teleport? Like it's impossible for him to get back. How Are you blaming him for these things? And that's the kind of stupidity that um, really annoys me in, in analysis of football. Because there's really nothing you can do there. You're going. Yes, it comes. The goal might come from the space of the right back, but the way that Liverpool play, they're giving up that space, knowing that nine times out of ten they're going to be okay. Sometimes it won't work, so they'll take they'll they'll take that mistake, quote unquote mistake, and move on with it. That's just a part of football, as you pointed out earlier. Trent also essentially runs the entire right flank by himself. There is no real defensive support for him going forward. That is a risk that Liverpool are prepared to take. And for the majority of the time, it works out. But yeah, stupid fans will always be stupid fans.
0: Klopp spoke. I remember when Klopp put the boy up, Roy Keane, about that when he was talking about chances. Like, of course, we're an attacking team, we're going at them. There are going to be moments in the game where the other team is going to get the chance. Yeah, They're like it's not no, about it's sloppy player whatever. We're playing very good, they are a decent team. They are well, he said, a good team, They're a decent team, and there are going to be moments anyway. Lastly, Stefan Messi won number seven. Uh, I want to get into this maybe next time. If I remember, there was Ronaldo like that Instagram post breaking down why Messi shouldn't have won. Uh, just quickly, the thing that stood out to me was Messi winning the Copa. People act like Argentina hasn't won the Copa since 1993, so it's not as if it was ordained that that they were going to win. They also won it in Brazil, so yeah. that has to come for some. And he was the best player in the tournament. Had a bad final, I, I agree, but he was also the best player. Is also the best player in La Liga. So there's there's that that should have that should count. I don't know any other player that has been the best in two competitions. So it's no surprise to me. Um, so, so um, obviously, I do understand Lewandowski should have won last year because of the COVID. They canceled the award for reasons unbeknownst to me. So, that's a bit shocking. But still, hopefully, um, people will start to actually hold people to asking them, what is the criteria for winning? Is it the best player? Is it the guy who scores the most goals? Is it the guy you think is the best player on the team that won the Champions League? Is it the guy who you think is the best player that won the most important international award? Like, what's the criteria? But that's a question that has never been answered to me. So a lot of these awards, as much as I put a lot of stock in them, uh, you have to honestly take it with a grain of salt because there's no no uniform criteria. Yeah, I mean, people are going to vote based
1: on any which reason some people are going to vote based on who won the big trophies. Some are going to vote on um, who actually played individually the best. Uh, was I surprised Messi won the Ballon d'Or? Absolutely not. I, I'm pretty sure I said even once he won the Cope, I'm like, all right, it's going to be Messi this year. People are now acting surprised that um, international tournaments sometimes have a big sway in these awards when it's been proven time and time again for, for the existence of these awards. Ronaldo has won this award based on an international tournament. Uh, Cannavaro Zidane it's all happened before so it's not no surprise to me that Messi won it and it, it, I do find it funny that everyone used to use the fact that Messi hadn't won a Copa and said oh he didn't win the Copa this year why should he win Ballon d'Or why should he he's not the best player in the world he keeps failing for Argentina one the idea that Messi fails Argentina is clearly false because he's always performed superbly for them and now that he finally wins a tournament for the first time in since 1993 for Argentina, the very first pundit I see talking about it then goes on to say, Oh, he won the Copa. Only two teams ever win the Copa Brazil and Argentina. Not true, moron. Do your research.
0: Yeah, you're talking about Roy Hudson, who is, who is the worst England manager in my lifetime, and England have had some real shit storms. Yeah, it was um, it was I'm uh, talking as number 3 in 2014 for what he did for uh. Barcelona when Mascherano was total hog shit for yep. um, Barcelona that season and only started to look good at the World Cup when Argentina became more defensive and dropped another defensive midfielder beside him. And that's who I'm supposed to be paying money to listen to. I'm listening to Andy Gray just suck it up and was like, yeah, come on, you, you're supposed to win the, the Copa if you're Argentino. He probably doesn't even know who played in the Copa. He likely didn't even watch a single game. And, exactly. it, and the reason why I'm saying that probably is I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt that the reason why he's talking rubbish is because he didn't watch it, right? Yeah. He probably did watch it, but he's just talking trash.
1: Yeah, it's it's moronic. Um, do I necessarily think Messi was the outright favorite to win Ballon d'Or? Probably not. I could see an argument for other players, but as I've said for, for many a year now, for the most part, I have never strongly disagreed with whoever has won the co- won these awards. For the most part, I think there's always a compelling argument for whoever comes first or second, and that's just how I think most people should look at it. The only year where I think where I look back on it now and I think you know. At the time, I agreed with it, but I, I don't agree with it. Apart from the nonsense with Canavaro, was Modric won it recently? At the time, I was like, "Yeah, Modric had a fantastic year," but now thinking back, we- Messi should have won that award. He was better than anybody yeah,
0: here. Modric should not have won that. <laughs> no yeah, way. but no way. I think I think honestly, I think they couldn't give it to Messi because of everything at the World Cup with Argentina, and I think Mess, the Messi voters didn't want to give it to Ronaldo. So they just voted for Modric to piss to piss him <laughs> off, so that would that would have made sure that Ronaldo wouldn't have passed Messi. So I think there's that or time or whatever it was at the time, you know. Whatever it um, was, it was nonsense.
1: It, yeah, in my head, Messi yeah. Messi now has seven Ballon Dors. In my head, he should have eight, even
0: without this one. I think he should have eight. But yeah, I thought again, he should. Yeah, he could have won. But these are problem. arguments for other days. In La Liga, yeah, the most goals plus assists. Most shots, most chances created, most take-ons completed for shit Barcelona team, which we're seeing now. Um, Copa America, most goals, plus assists. Most assists, most shots, most through balls. Didn't score in the semifinals. In the finals, finals, he was very, very poor. Should have scored. Semifinals, he didn't score, but was excellent and set up the goal. So there's that. Help set up the goal. So anyway. Anyway, Stefan, glad to talk to you. Can't wait to catch up with you again soon. All right, man. All right, peace.